The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. <clears throat> I am your host, Thomas Nagley. I'm here with Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V, and he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Well, fine, Tom. Thank you. I, I hear you're a little under the weather. <laughs> a little huh? bit, Father. Well, Happy to be well. here, though. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming and uh, carrying out anyway. It's yes, an inspiration. I appreciate it. Thank you, Father. Uh, Father, any prayer requests tonight before we get into some of our questions? Well, there are many, of course, but we can't mention all. But um, in particular, the gentleman who just passed away, uh, we have um, three gentlemen. Um, Mr. Well, Jimmy Evans, Jim Evans Sr., down in Florida, passed away just a few days ago. So I ask everyone to keep him in, his, in your prayers. Please remember... Uh, Marilyn is their wife of over 60 years. Uh, she's uh, grieving his death now, certainly. And, uh, but also, please remember as well Richard Rentschler, who just passed away, and also Les, uh, Les Pugh. There are so many other dear souls we know who've um, actually gone before us with faith, hope, and charity, we trust, and appear to be the judgment seat of our Lord, and so we need to pray for all of them. Uh, there are also those who are ill, those who are very seriously injured. Please remember Mr. Paul Riley and Amy, his wife, and his family, and uh, so many other dear souls we know who are in need of prayers. Okay, please remember Dwayne Harris and his, uh, his dear wife, too. Dwayne is still very, very ill. And uh, as I say, there's so many others, it's impossible to name everyone. Um, but God knows who they are, and uh, if you pray for them, especially those whose um, intentions are brought to the attention of the priests, um, because we always commend them to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Uh, she knows them intimately, loves them uh, with a powerful love, and she will see to it that our prayers are uh, placed before our Lord in good order at her hands. Very good. Father, uh, we have several questions uh, from our viewers we'd like uh, like for you to answer tonight. Uh, first one, a viewer says, uh, what does the name of the Pope being mentioned or not mentioned in the canon of the Mass do with the Mass's validity or invalidity besides the form and matter? And also they ask, may I please have some references in this argument? Well, the mention or non-mention of a Pope uh, or even the mention of a non-Pope, an anti-Pope, because it could go either way, I mean, uh, would not affect in any way the validity of the Mass. Uh, 
Really? Uh, but one needs, according to classical sacramental theology of the Catholic Church, is uh, uh, matter, form, and intention, proper matter, proper ma form, and intention. And that is what is necessary. And uh, uh, the question of who is or who is not the Pope in any given moment, or whether there even is a Pope at any given moment, <clears throat> um, has no bearing whatsoever on the validity of the, of the Mass, the consecration. Um, as far as references go, I mean, to say, well, look up Merkelbach or Felix Capello, or, I mean, that would mean nothing to anyone because uh, they're in Latin, and uh, most people wouldn't have access to them. Even if they could read the Latin, they'd have to go looking for those volumes. <clears throat> so uh, simply just going to the old Catholic Encyclopedia. It is online at the New Advent site. I think they have the 1913 edition of the Catholic Encyclopedia online, I believe. And look up sacraments. Uh, go to the Summa of St. Thomas. Now that can be gotten uh, in English, but it can also be found online very easily. Uh, just type in, uh, search for uh, Aquinas and sacraments, for example, and I think that would bring up um, uh, links going directly to St. Thomas's third part of the Tertia Paris, uh, question 60, in which St. Thomas begins to address the, the nature of the sacraments. And uh, again, he deals with the question of matter and the form and the intention, the things that would make the sacrament. Uh, are necessary for this, the validity of the sacraments as the outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. So there, those are two references anyway that are immediately accessible to the average Catholic reader. <clears throat> so uh, I'd say if you want to find references, you can go there, and from there you'll find other references too. All right. Thank you, Father. Another uh, related question about the commemoration in the Mass, the sphere says the Fourth Council of Constantinople put forward the following ruling in centuries past, uh, quote, this holy and universal synod justly and fittingly declares and lays down that no lay person or monk or cleric should separate himself from communion with his own bishop before a careful inquiry and judgment in synod, even if he alleges that he knows of some crime perpetrated by his patriarch, and he must not refuse to include his patriarch's name in the divine liturgies. End quote. And then the viewer goes on to ask, why then does the SSPV, unlike the SSPX, not mention the names of the post-conciliar popes and bishops in the canon of the Mass? Well, because we consider there's a doubt as to whether they actually are Catholic to begin with. Um, they have followed the, the modernist way of the new order, uh, something that Pope Pius X has warned us about. He himself termed it the, uh, the synthesis of all heresies. And uh, there's been a revolution in the church, uh, or against the church. And now it's, it's coming to a climax with Francis and his synodal church trying to replace the Catholic Church altogether. Now, of course, somebody who doesn't see that there has been a revolution in the church, which even calls into question the faith of, uh, of the hierarchs being heresiarchs, <laughs> uh, somebody who doesn't see that, they would, they would ask a question like that and say, well, how can you not mention their names? Um, but together with that would be the question is, well, how can you question that they, they are, you know, Catholic bishops and even Catholic popes, you know? Um, and we would have an answer for that. 
and how we can question that. Okay, and it's a perfectly legitimate question. Um, just recently, Father James Altman, whose name is familiar to you, Tom, I know, and probably to many of our listeners, um, a priest of La Crosse, Wisconsin, who was basically canceled there because he, he said you cannot be Catholic and vote Democrat at the same time because of their support of abortion, um, and many other things. Well, recently, Father Altman um, kind of shocked everybody by coming out and saying that Francis is no pope because he's excommunicated by the Council of Trent, because he's not even a Catholic, according to the Council of Trent. Uh, well, I mean, that, that bears discussion. You know, I, I think Father Altman's statement is startling because it is so so black and white and so definitive. And uh, most of what Father Altman says comes across as being very definitive, I know. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, since, um, since he was canceled, uh, Bishop Strickland of Texas and, uh, and Lightside News and others actually took his part right, and defended him. But now that he's come out and said that, uh, I don't know that there are any more, there's much more talk about him. He might have been canceled on Lifeside News for all, you know. I don't know uh, how far the cancellation will go. But there, there are many uh, priests and even some bishops who over the years, since Vatican II, have questioned whether or not those, the modernists who perpetrated Vatican II and are driving it forward, notably Francis in our own day, even have the Catholic faith, should be considered Catholics, or could actually be members of the Catholic hierarchy. At the same time, they are claiming to be the hierarchy of a, a modernist new order. Uh, so it's not a new question, and Father Altman's answer is really not a new answer. I guess the reason why it was so startling to people and made such uh, headlines is because it was Father Altman making the making the statement. Um, in any case, um, we, uh, you know, we, we see people asking questions like that. The church said in the past, you know, you must not do this. And, and ordinarily, absolutely, it's, it's absolutely a truth. Um, and to follow church law, yes, we would help to consider ourselves bound by church law. Except where church law comes into, in practice in conflict with divine law. And if there's a question as to whether Francis is uh, not a true Catholic Pope, but is even an anti-Pope, then the question takes on a different, altogether different significance as to whether you can simply blithely mention his name, uh, ignoring the, the harsh realities of the situation and the questions. You can't just ignore that question. Right. <clears throat> it has to be addressed. So uh, I think even the person who sent that in to us would say, well, yeah, yes, of course, if there's a question whether or not he's true Pope, then you couldn't just go ahead and put his name in there and uh, just, to, you know, as a, as a place pillar. You just couldn't assume. Um, I would like to think that even the person asking that question would see that. Uh, the fact that the Society of St. Pius X, yeah, puts the name of Francis in the canon and the local Novus Ordo Bishop, uh, personally, I find very dissatisfying because they they named them uh, as being Pope and Bishop, and then they ignore everything they say, and they do nothing that they say. They do nothing that they're commanded to do, unless they want to do it, or unless it serves their purpose. But they feel no obligation and obedience to either one of them. 
to Francis or the local bishop down there uh, across the river, for example. So um, I, I, I find it disingenuous. And uh, the whole idea is not Catholic, in my mind, to use the name of someone like Francis or the local bishop. He's relatively new across the river. And then basically just use it for window dressing. But then actually see no obligation in justice to, uh, to obey them or follow their commands. Mm -hmm. uh, now, they might say, well, they're modernists, so we can't do what they tell us to do. And I would say, well, yes, and that's the point, isn't it? They're modernists. And that raises a, a deeper question that you're ignoring and won't let other people even ask. So it is an anomaly. And uh, when, the, when the writer says, well, Pius X does mention their names, I say, yes, I, I think Pius X is taking their name in vain, so to speak. Uh, in uh, basically uh, um, invoking the name to impress people uh, that they're, you know, recognized and they're in, in the good graces and all is well to reassure people and yet at the same time doing their own thing, their yeah. own way, yeah. and, and basically ignoring yeah. what uh, Francis and uh, their local, Francis's local ordinary down there <laughs> is saying to them. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't think it's honest myself. And yeah. I, I won't do it. Yeah. There's another um, related question about the SSPX um, from a viewer. who says that he's done careful, or she, they have done uh, careful research uh, on the, our website and others, and they cannot ascertain clearly what Archbishop Lefebvre's position was on the validity of the Novus Ordo sacraments. But they say, I am hearing reports that the SSPX seminary is advising people who are calling them looking for extra function to simply call the local Novus Ordo priest. Mm -hmm. And I, I've heard that too, and I believe it's true. Um, I've heard enough reports of that that uh, I believe there's truth to it. Now, whether all of the SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X priests, are calling, are telling people to just call the local Novus Ordo uh, to take care of anointing the dying, I don't know. And, you know, when you, when you in, uh, get a call to the bedside of somebody who's dying, it's not just to anoint them, it's to absolve them of their sins and to administer viaticum to them, Holy Communion to them, if they can receive, and give them the apostolic benediction after anointing them. So all four things are involved, and they all require the power of a, of a validly ordained priest. So uh, now the Society of St. Pius X has, in fact, uh, conditionally ordained some of the priests who are working with them, who came from the Novus Ordo, not all, um, my understanding from them is that they let the individual Novus Ordo priest decide for himself whether there's a problem with his ordination, right? And so those who have qualms or scruples about the Novus Ordo ordination can become conditionally ordained traditionally within the societies in Pasadena. But other priests who say, no, my, my ordination with the Novus Ordo was perfectly fine, uh, they simply, uh, you know, maybe, maybe give them a bit of training and then, and then uh, even, even, I mean, ignoring what they learned at the Novus Ordo seminaries, just basically give them a, a you know, a, what would they, a, a quick course, quick course in Catholic theology, I suppose, 
and then let it go to work and serve the people. And I think it does a great disservice to the people, uh, to our Lord and to the priest himself, uh, to let him go that way. So, I mean, if they themselves acknowledge, if they themselves acknowledge that there are novice or priests who are doubtfully ordained, and clearly they do, then how could they tell someone who calls them and says, look, please come and anoint my dying relative. He has the faith, she has the faith, and they're calling for a true priest that they can count on being a true priest. How can they tell people like that? Well, just call the local novice or priest. The, the person on the other end of the line might say, but I understand that you've actually conditionally ordained some of those priests because you have doubts about whether they're validly ordained. And the Papias, the 10th priest, would have to say, well, that's true, yeah. There are doubtfully ordained Novosoro priests out there. In those cases, we will conditionally ordain them, but don't worry about it. Just go ahead and call the local Novosoro priest. Whoever shows up, just, just accept the fact or presume that they're validly ordained and that they can absolve of sins and they can um, uh, you know, give validly consecrated hosts and as viaticum that they can anoint, and that the holy oil itself is validly consecrated. Just assume all that. Um, that's a terrible thing to do. How can you do that to people? I, I don't know. Well, they can explain that to themselves, even. Um, so, um, uh, in any case, uh, we, the Society of St. Pius V does not do that. Um, we consider there to be a, a serious doubt about the validity of the new ordination rite. Actually, in the new consecration rite for bishops, too. And so, um, we will not have a doubtfully or any or doubtfully ordained priest go to uh, absolve or anoint anyone. Um, so, okay. But I don't know if that answers the entire question there. Is, is there more to it than that? Well, he says, I cannot ascertain clearly what Archbishop Lefebvre's position was on the validity oh, yes. of the Novus Ordo Sacraments. Well, Archbishop Lefebvre certainly <clears throat> believed uh, that the sacraments were, on occasion, at least on occasion, invalid. Um, as Archbishop Lefebvre traveled uh, off, uh, administering the sacrament of confirmation, he would always conditionally confirm uh, dozens of people at a time who had been had been confirmed in the Novus Ordo, and uh, I don't I don't recall ever having heard or witnessed any Pius X priest questioning those who had been confirmed in the Novus Ordo what was done. I think just the fact that they were confirmed in the Novus Ordo was enough to sign them up and have them go up to be conditionally confirmed by Monsieur Lefebvre. And that would indicate that Monsieur Lefebvre believed that the new right itself was questionable. And um, I, I think it's beyond doubt that Archbishop Lefebvre did, in fact, consider the new right of confirmation to be questionably valid. Uh, the fact that he would uh, conditionally ordain even some of the priests coming from the Novus Ordo would certainly give rise to the question of whether he cons considered, um, you know, at, at least the intention or some other aspect of the right to be questionably valid. Um, and um, so there's no doubt that Monsieur Lefebvre had, had uh, questions about the new, the new rights, okay? Um, I, I do not speak with him directly about 
the individual rights. I don't know that he considered the new right of baptism to be intrinsically doubtful, as though there was something done, because they, they kept substantially the traditional form. Um, but, um, you know, as far as confirmation, he definitely had a consistent modus operandi of conditionally confirming those who are themselves confirmed in the new right. Um, as far as the new mass, um, I don't know that I ever actually heard him talk about the new right as being um, invalid in itself. I do believe he had questions and concerns about it. Yeah. Um, but I don't recall him having made a blanket statement about it. Um, <clears throat> but it, it certainly, the theological statements he made about it certainly do pose, pose questions and problems about the new Mass in itself as a new rite. Okay. And as far as the other sacraments, I, I don't think he considered the uh, matrimonial ceremony to be intrinsically invalid or doubtfully, as long as they pronounce their marriage vows correctly. Um, then if they did not um, express the essential teaching of the church with regard to the sacrament of matrimony, there would be a doubt, and they would have to re repeat those vows validly. But again, I don't know there was any carte blanche uh, rejection of the validity of the, uh, the modern marriage rite as it is in the new rituales of the Novus Ordo. Yeah. Um, so again, I can testify from personal experience that uh, Monsignor Lefebvre did, did have serious doubts concerning the validity of some of the Novus Ordo sacraments. I don't know that he had those doubts about all of them. All right, um, another related question. Uh, in our SSPX parish, the speaker says we have two normal traditional priests and one who was ordained this year by an SSPX bishop, but the oil used at his ordination was consecrated by a Novus Ordo bishop. May I attend the masses at, uh, of this priest and receive his sacraments, or at least in the masses of the other priest, receive the communion consecrated by this one priest who was ordained this year? So that's an interesting way to put it. Two normal traditional priests and one who was just consecrated, ordained by a Society of St. Pius X bishop this year. Mm -hmm. right? But using Novus Ordo blessed holy oils. Right, but the question is why would the others be normal? Uh, was there a difference in the way they were ordained? And did they come from the Novus Ordo? Is that what he considers normal? traditional priests, and they were conditionally ordained traditional, or, uh, but he considers to be, I mean, the contrast indicates that he considers the newly ordained priest to be somewhat not normal in the same way that they are, or abnormal, <laughs> and I wonder why. I'm just kind of curious what he means by that. So, um, but I mean, if the priest ordained this year was validly ordained, he was ordained by a validly consecrated Catholic bishop, in the true Catholic rite, where the, with, with the matter and the form and the intention correctly posited there, um, then he would be validly ordained, and he could validly consecrate the host at Mass and administer the sacraments, right? Um, even if, uh, what, what was the sacrament he was, oh, the, the question is, his ordination took place with holy oils 
blessed by this bishop, the sort of Bishop Hollander, right? Yes. That's the question. Yeah. And he's asking basically would that uh, raise a doubt about the validity right. of the ordination? The answer right. is no. Really? Uh, the the matter and form for the valid ordination of the priest was laid out infallibly by Pope Pius XII in his decree Sacramentum Ordinis of 1947. And you, again, you can find the text of that in the original Latin. You can find the text of it in uh, English. It's well translated. And Pope Pius XII made it very clear that the correct uh, form to be expressed uh, for the ordination of the priest is these these words of, of ordination that are given in the text, and the matter consists of the imposition of hands, plural, not one hand. That's for the deacon. Two hands, both hands, signifying the giving of the power of the priesthood over the head of the one being ordained. And of course, the ordaining bishop has to have the intention then uh, to at least do what Christ, what the church does in administering the sacrament of ordination, the priestly ordination. Um, and you bring those three together and you have a valid ordination of a priest. With you, you know, you have the proper matter there. The matter involves the very fact that you have a man, a young man there, right? himself who was presented there to be ordained. Uh, that obviously, you know, you, you have to have that present, you know, to ordain someone, obviously. But the point is that the, the, um, the holy oils are not essential to ordain someone, the priest, validly. And if they are not themselves validly uh, consecrated as holy oils, uh, they do not impede the ordination of a priest, valid, valid ordination. What about um, some sacraments that use the holy oils, such as the... Uh, well, if you were to administer extra unction mm -hmm. with Crisco oil or something like that, it was not validly ordained or uh, consecrated or blessed by the bishop, because let's say the bishop is a Novus Ordo bishop, and he, let's say he wasn't validly consecrated, <clears throat> then you would not be administering the sacrament of extra unction because you have the matter is the actual application of the oil. Right. You, if, you, if you had uh, invalid matter for baptism, let's say you poured oil over the head of a baby and you tried to baptize the baby, that would be an invalid baptism <clears throat> because you need water, right? Real water for that baptism. That's an essential part of the outward sign. And for the same reason, if you use invalidly uh, consecrated oil to anoint someone, if you anointed them with water or even any, any type of oil that was, even the, the necessary form of oil that should have been consecrated but was not validly consecrated, you would not be administering the sacrament of extraction. Okay. So would it, would it be safe to say that, um, that the, such a sacrament would be at least doubtful then if say an, an SSPX priest who was certainly validly ordained if he used uh, doubtfully blessed holy oils holy oils that were blessed by a well uh, take the example sort of, of Bishop Wander here I mean yeah. you'd have to uh, see, see well is he validly consecrated a bishop to see well how is he how is he himself ordained a priest <clears throat> was he ordained with the Novus Ordo right 
um, was he consecrated with an Ovisero rite? Would there be a, an objective doubt about the validity of either of those? And you know, with the Society of St. Pius V, we believe that there is. They were both changed for a reason. And one can argue whether they were changed substantially or not. Okay, but there is an argument open about that. And uh, there are two sides to that question. You know? um, so, uh, but then, you know, you come to his intention and you come to um, the, the prayers that actually have to be prayed in order to validly consecrate these oils on Holy Thursday at the Chrism Mass. And you have to look at all each one of those individually and say, well, is there, a, is there a question? Is any of this questionable in terms of Catholic sacramental theology uh, that would at least be, raise an objective doubt uh, concerning whether any one of these things in that series would be, uh, would be open to question? <clears throat> that would have to be resolved. If there was a doubt anywhere along the line, then the end result would be doubtful. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it would be questionable. Okay. But as I say, that's, that's, uh, that has to do with whether the oils would be validly consecrated or blessed. That's whatever they call it now. Um, it would not affect the validity of an ordination of priesthood, though. It would certainly affect the validity of an anointing mm -hmm. of someone who is dying. Yeah. Okay. Or con confirmation. If the chrism is not validly uh, consecrated as chrism, um, then applying it would, and you would apply just any other, any oil, any ordinary oil, but it wouldn't have that signification that is necessary for the uh, outward sign necessary for valid confirmation. Um, okay. Okay. Um, well, speaking of the Novus Ordo, Father, uh, one of our viewers wanted to, wanted to know your thoughts on uh, Bishop Strickland. <clears throat> He's been termed America's bishop. Um, yeah, I wonder where that started. Who, who's, who has dubbed him America's <laughs> bishop? As though the other, all the other Nova Sordo bishops are not. Um, you know, that, that's, you know it, it, it puzzles me because you have these conservative Nova Sordo voices that are willing to make a statement like that, which is kind of bold, you know, to appoint one bishop because they like him as America's bishop. You know, he's the one we consider to be the bishop of America. But what does that say about ecclesiastical authority in the Novus Ordo? Mm. You know, yeah. and all those other bishops too. But anyway, I'm sorry, I just find it an odd expression. But <laughs> yeah. well, I know that's why you mentioned it, because it is odd. Yeah, well now um, this uh, beloved... Novus Ordo Bishop, he was subject recently to an apostolic vis visitation, and uh, apparently um, they, uh, the news is now that uh, Francis is going to ask him to resign uh, from mm -hmm. the see in, in Texas. So um, some of our viewers just wanted to know your thoughts on that, Father. Well, um, I, I think, it, again, it just speaks to the whole problem of modernism and the Novus Ordo and the new order of things and Francis's new church that he's creating before everyone's very eyes, you know, a world, world church is what it is, a church of the world. Um, the fact that, that somebody would say, well, he's America's bishop, and people would shake up the chant, yes, he's America's bishop, because he's a bishop who stands up for the faith, 
says a lot insofar as the rest of the bishops, as far as we're concerned, they don't qualify because they don't really stand up for the faith. I think that's a statement about how bad things really are, even in the eyes of the New Order conservatives, yeah. you know. Uh, but also the fact that uh, Francis would have him investigated um, and then uh, want to have him uh, resign, pressure him into resign. And if he doesn't, I guess, I don't, I don't know what will happen to him. Um, but I mean, if, you know, if there is pressure from the Vatican to, uh, Strickland to resign, it is, I guess, a way for him to save face somehow and for the Vatican to save face, you know, that he wasn't crushed outright, uh, which is no doubt what they'd like to do. It's the whole point of it, right? Uh, why? Because he's actually said some Catholic things. Um, now he's Novus Ordo, he says the Novus Ordo liturgy, and he presides over a Novus Novo Ordo diocese with all the changes of the Novus Ordo. And uh, he probably, I, I would guess, I've never been to his diocese, uh, that he probably tries to see that there, the more outrageous aspects of the Novus Ordo um, uh, are, not, are not present in his diocese, and he probably suppresses them. Um, so he tries to make the, the Novus Ordo, the New Order, of Vatican II look as Catholic as he possibly can. But inevitably, he's running into the problem that the Novus Ordo is modernism in action. It is the religion of modernism. And St. Pius X warned that modernism is the synthesis of all, all heresies and the destruction of all true religion. So, insofar as Bishop Strickland is trying to, uh, you know, put a good face, a Catholic face on what is intrinsically modernism, he's going to fail. And uh, he's going to have to find that out. So maybe, maybe this is necessary for him to discover that his effort is not working, and it can't possibly work. Um, because modernism and Catholicism are intrinsically not only incompatible with each other, they are, they are inimical to each other, and they would be the death of each other. Catholicism, the Catholic faith would destroy modernism, and modernism would destroy the Catholic faith. They cannot coexist. Insofar as Bishop Strickland might be trying to find a way to make them coexist, then he necessarily will fail. You know, I mentioned a, a movie that was uh, ripe some time ago. It had Alec Guinness in it uh, called The Bridge Over the River Kwai. And uh, it, I don't know how many of our readers, our viewers, would have uh, seen the movie. It's, a, it's an old movie. But it has to do with British prisoners of war being held in Burma <clears throat> by Japanese uh, during World War II. And the prisoners of war include a major, British major. And uh, the, the prisoners of war are ordered to build a bridge, a, a, a railroad trestle across the river, the River Kwai, so as to allow the Japanese to uh, carry train loads of munitions to the front to be used against, other, among others, British soldiers to kill them. <clears throat> and um, so the, the major said, my men will not be forced to labor. I guess it was against the Geneva Convention. 
<clears throat> and uh, you cannot make them labor for your war effort. And so the men were punished. Uh, he himself was punished, being put basically in, not only in solitary, but in the hothouse, and which almost killed him. Uh, but he was holding firm on that. The men were not going to be forced to labor for this unholy cause, right? But then it, became, it came to light that the Japanese wanted the British to labor on this project because their engineers were failing them and their efforts to build the bridge were failing miserably. What they built was unstable, it would collapse. Um, in other words, it took expert engineering. Now this, the British major found <clears throat> very challenging, and it came into his mind that he was going to show the Japanese the superiority of British way of life, British engineering, and so here, the major, who practically had been done to death because he refused to allow his men to work on the bridge, now he was ordering them to build this bridge for the Japanese to show them the superiority of British culture and knowledge and science and engineering. Well, the men were really, really uh, uh, unhappy about this, not because they were afraid of work, but because they didn't want to work for the enemy, and they didn't want to empower the enemy to kill their fellow soldiers. <laughs> so um, they were really dragging their feet, and the, the British major whipped them into shape and ordered them. And so they did build a bridge, and they built a solid bridge. It was, it was the bridge uh, to, build, to end all bridges. It was so good, so well built. The British major was immensely proud of it, showing it off to the, uh, the Japanese captors. You know, he was in very good form as a British major, showing the, 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 the wonders of this bridge that the British had built for the Japanese. Well, he didn't know at the time <clears throat> that uh, the Allies <clears throat> uh, were actually sending a, a contingent of soldiers to blow it up. And uh, they did actually mine the bridge. <clears throat> and uh, it was the major who the very, very day they were inaugurating the bridge, and the first train was going to pull through. He saw the cable. Uh, he saw the cable that the miners had laid, the Allies had laid, to blow off the bridge. And he uncovered it. He exposed it to the Japanese. <clears throat> and um, he, he actually exposed the... Uh, the um, the soldiers who had been sent to mine the bridge, to destroy the bridge, and uh, they, were, they were being machine gunned to death. And I guess that is what kind of awakened the, uh, the British major to realize what, he, what was he doing? What on, what on earth had, had uh, deceived him so badly that he would commit this atrocity and uh, actually betray his own country, and his own countrymen, and his own soldiers. <clears throat> and uh, it ends with the Japanese train approaching the bridge, and the Major is struggling then to destroy the bridge himself, and he's the one who finally pushed the plunger and actually blew up the bridge, his own bridge, you know. And um, I think there is a, uh, this is an allegory, and I think it's an allegory of, uh, 
those in the Novus Ordo who are desperately trying to make it as Catholic or appear as Catholic as they can when it is simply inimical to the Catholic faith and there's no way to change that. It is what it is. It's modernism. And um, it, it has to be rejected, absolutely. Um, the answer has to be no. I'll not build, try to build your bridge. <laughs> um, I hope Bishop Strickland, uh, um, somewhere along the line, catches that movie, <laughs> uh, focuses on the character of Alec Guinness in the movie, and recognizes perhaps himself, mm-hmm. you know, and realizes that this is, this is not right. This is a losing proposition for me and for my faithful. Yeah. Do I believe he's doing what he's doing, uh, you know, in good faith? Well, I, I, tr- I trust that. I mean, I, but this is part of the problem. You have those who have the faith who are doing, operating in good faith and trying to make it work. And because they, they don't really grasp the nature of modernism, as St. Pius X grasped that. And it was St. Pius X himself who warned us about it. And uh, so there basically can be no, no compromise between the two. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good, Father. Um, maybe can we close with any words on uh, the feast? Well, we have today? the feast of the Holy Name of Mary, which is nicely situated between the feast of Our Lady's birth on September 8th and her seven sorrows on September 15th. Okay, so from this, this octave of days here, we have these three beautiful feasts of Mary. And then the approaching feast of October 11th also, uh, the Feast of the Maternity of the Blessed Mother, which is the patronal feast of the sisters, the daughters of Mary. Uh, and, and actually, even before we come to October 11th, we have the, the Feast Day of Our Lady of Ransom also. So there, there are some very beautiful feast days of Our Lady by which God is glorified through his master work, his masterpiece, our blessed, our blessed Mother. Uh, so we go to her today as every day, but on our feast days in a special way, we approach her in the sacred liturgy. We thank God for her, uh, through whom uh, the Redeemer himself has come into the world, uh, the new Garden of Eden, as it were, uh, the woman who was the enemy of Satan, forecast from the earliest days of human existence. Um, and we ask our Blessed Mother to intercede for us before the throne of God. Uh, God has a special love for her as she has a special love for him. And so on days like this, these feast days, we appeal to that special love and ask for uh, the mercy and the grace of God. Uh, We ask Our Lady to present these petitions with her own hands, the very hands that held the Christ child. We ask her to take these petitions to him now. Um, Our Lord has entrusted her with some very special missions here on earth, And uh, we learn at Fatima that our Lord has placed the cause of the peace of mankind, the peace for mankind in her loving motherly hands. And if there's one thing a mother wants in her family, she wants her loved ones, her children, to be at peace. Um, That's like the great priority for every mother. And so it is with Our Lady. Uh, the Blessed Mother's name, Miriam, means uh, a lady, a noble, noble lady. And that, that name of Mary harkens back to that prophecy in Genesis 3, chapter 15. Gen- Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman. And there we have her. And uh, she is the noble lady. Uh, noble because of her sinlessness, starting from the first instance of her existence in the womb of St. Anne, her mother. Uh, sinless from the very beginning to the very last breath of life and the very last beat of her heart. Sinless. And so, um, by the special privilege of God, we find she is exalted, as she says, because of her lowliness, because she recognizes her, her as it were, uh, nothingness, <laughs> really. Um, and therefore, she is entirely in God's hands and entirely uh, consigned and in uniform in her will with his will. Uh, there is no sin in her. There is no resistance in her to the will of God, but a complete wholehearted embracing of the will of God. And that is why God was able to uh, give her the vocation he did to be the mother of his own son. And so we honor her as God himself has honored her in this most remarkable way. And we thank him for doing so. So uh, uh, we really have to regard Our Lady, this Miriam, this noble lady, as God's masterpiece. What he created human beings to be, really. We find them in the humanity of Christ himself, and we find it in the humanity of his mother Mary, too. So, we well, ask Our Lady's blessing here. Thank you, Father. Appreciate that. God bless you. God bless you, Tom. Thank you. And Great. our viewers, too. Yes, thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.